Welcome to PCTY Talks, a new podcast from the human capital management software provider, Paylocity. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson, and as an HR program manager at Paylocity, I will be navigating our journey together as we explore bite-sized topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, diversity and inclusion, and product knowledge. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, please drop me a note at PCTYTalks at Paylocity.com. So today on the podcast, I've actually asked Corinne Tyrone, our Director of Government Relations, to join me again. And I want to talk today about the CARES Act. So Corinne, thanks for hopping on a call with me again today. Yeah, sure. Happy to be here. So on Friday, the 27th, President Trump had signed into law a massive $2 trillion emergency spending bill. Um, and it's really put together to promise to deliver support for individuals, um, businesses, healthcare facilities, all reeling from the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. The new bill is called the Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, or you might have heard of it, it's called CARES Act. And the act is a third piece of federal legislation that's passed in the last several weeks, really meant to aid the nation in in dealing with what's happening. The act covers a couple different things, deferral of payments for employer social security tax, employer retention credit, paycheck protection, expansion of unemployment benefits, student loans, and individual recovery payments. So, Karen, I was hoping that what we could focus on today was those top four that really have a bigger impact on employers, and maybe we could jump in with deferral of payments for employer Social Security tax. So, can you give us a little overview of that part of the provision of the act? Sure. Yeah. So, I think what we would what we would want to say about this is first that this isn't a payroll tax holiday. So, I think that there has been kind of a lot of conversation in the media describing a payroll tax holiday and saying that this is forthcoming, um, and it may still be. But as of this moment, and as of the CARES Act. That is not what this is. This is simply a deferral of making those payments. So I wanted to just kind of start by just saying that that is still the case that you will still have to pay them. You just get to pay them later. So to be more specific about what I mean about that is that under the CARES Act, employers are allowed to elect to defer payments of the employer share of Social Security. So if you kind of step back and think about what that means, employer social security tax is paid at a rate of 6.2% on the social security wage base, which is $137,000 and uh, $137,700. And that's for any of your employees, regardless of employer size, that you could elect to defer those payments. So there is one exception here because there always is, and that is that if the employer is taking the Paycheck Protection Program loan, they can't defer these payments if that loan gets forgiven. So the way that the IRS has us thinking about this right now is that you don't want to do both right now. So if you think that you're going to take that Paycheck Protection Program loan and your long-term hope is that that Paycheck Protection Program loan would be forgiven, you don't also want to defer these payments because what will happen at the point that that loan gets forgiven is that you're likely going to be on the hook for um, penalties associated with those late payments. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah. So just something to think about because um, I've actually gotten a lot of questions 
from some of our clients that are, you know, kind of like not sure what they should do there. And I would say in the short term, if you think you're going to get one of these loans, and if you want to get one of these loans with the outcome of getting it forgiven at the end, which is kind of the whole point, you should probably not elect to defer these payments in the short term because it's it's going to put you in a, a stickier position later. So um, as to the deferral specifically, what you want to be aware of is that this applies to any liabilities that are incurred between March 27th of this year, which, as you said, that's the date that this was signed into law, and December 31st of this year. So if you have any deposits that are due between March 27th and the 31st, December 31st, those can be deferred. Now, what happens if you defer them is that they will then become due over the next two years. So the first half of that, 50% of those liabilities are going to be due by December 31st of 2021, and the remainder will be due by December 31st of 2022. So uh, a lot can happen in two years. So I would definitely caution you to think about um, you know, what you think your long-term outcomes are going to be for your business, because uh, two years from now, you are going to be paying those liabilities back. Yeah, it's it's there's a lot of different things we're going to cover in this act that I think you you hit the nail on the head right away is that you really do need to look at these all with not just a short-term lens but a long-term lens for what's going to be best for your business. The next one I want to cover has to do with the employee retention credit. So again, a different tool that you could utilize um, in a different way than the deferral that we just talked about. So can you give an overview of, of what that credit looks like? Yeah, absolutely. So at a high level, if you decide to take the employee retention credit, and again, this is something that you should only do if you're not taking the payroll protection program loan, employers are eligible to receive a 50% credit against employment taxes on a specific limited amount of wages, and it's only wages that are paid under specific conditions. So um, one thing to, to note here is that the purpose of this is to prevent as many layoffs as possible and keep workers on the job so that those people can continue to pay their bills and stay connected to their benefits like their health care. Um, and the Senate Finance Committee kind of viewed this employee retention credit as a vehicle to offer that support to businesses to allow them to retain their employees. So again, it's an, it's an uh, employer credit against wages that are paid during this specific time period. And whether or not you get those depends on a couple of things. So first of all, to be eligible for this, you have to have been operating a business in 2020. And that business was either suspended fully or partly due to a COVID-19 order. So think, for example, if you're in a location that is having a shelter-in-place order or something of that kind, and it says, um, you know, these types of businesses are being suspended. Or the other possible qualifying circumstance is that the business sustained a significant decline in gross receipts over the same quarter of the prior year. So if either of those things have occurred within your business, then you are eligible to take this employee retention credit, assuming that you did not also take the Paycheck Protection Program loan. Yeah. And there's, so, there's also some um, requirements around how many employees you have, right? Based on what constitutes qualifying wages. Yes, absolutely. That's a, that's a great call out. So it depends on your empl uh, the size of the employer. So if you have 
um, 100 or more employees, then the credit can only be taken against the wages of employees who aren't working. So let's say, for example, you have more than 100 employees and you have furloughed you know, 50 of them, but you're still paying them. You can use this credit against those wages. Or if you have employees that um, are working a reduced schedule, but you're still compensating them for a full-time schedule, then you can use the, the, you can use the um, employee retention credit against those wages that you're paying when they're not actually working. If you have fewer than 100 employees, then the credit can be applied against any employee wages during this time period. Okay. And I know that there are some limitations in relation to the Families First Act. I actually won't have you go into those, but just to put that out there that, you know, as you're looking at CARES and FFCRA to make sure that you understand how they how they work with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good call out because this credit is applied against the company uh, total of employer FICA. So as you're kind of indicating, the Families First um, Coronavirus Relief Act, FFCRA, also has some credits that are applied against uh, federal liabilities. So this reduction will come after that reduction. And I did um, just want to mention a couple of other facts about this. It's, it's only applying to wages that are paid between March 13th of this year and December 31st of this year. So it does have some retroactivity, and that's going to be important in terms of a credit amount as well, because um, right away you might kind of get a big chunk of a credit. And then um, this credit is against employment taxes, and it is equal to 50% of the qualified wages up to $10,000 per employee. Oh, that's a really good call out, those those different numbers that you need to be cognizant of about how much the credit's going to actually be. Mm-hmm. Um, Next is the Paycheck Protection Program. So um, I think, you know, listeners probably are, are trying to figure out what this program actually looks like. There continues to be um, changes about details around it. So um, I think for a purpose of the discussion today is just an overview of, of what it is and some of the details around the forgiveness piece of it. Yeah, I think um, I think we're going to probably need to do a deeper dive on Paycheck Protection Program at some point because we have gotten so much interest from our clients about this program. And kind of just anecdotally, we're hearing a really high volume of people that are interested in learning more about this specifically. So just at a basic high level, the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, which I will refer to as PPP throughout, is really just an expansion of the existing Small Business Act program. And it runs kind of um, a, a broader covered well, a broader and more narrow covered period than some of the other pieces here, by which I mean it begins on February 15th of 2020, but then ends on June 30th. So again, there is some retroactivity here, um, and then it it expands through the middle of this year. And this this Paycheck Protection Program expands the covered businesses under the Small Business Act program, um, which is an important note because the Small Business Act uh, loan program already already exists and already is something that some businesses can leverage, but there is a a really broad kind of um, expansion of that throughout this. So 
really what this is meant to do is benefit businesses that are suffering due to COVID-19. So there are many of them and those employers are having a hard time doing things like um, maintaining their payroll, maintaining their health benefits um, and and so on, keeping their mortgage up and, and things of that nature. So this is really meant to provide a vehicle to get money into those businesses' hands pretty quickly. Um, one thing to keep in mind here is eligibility. So this is really targeted at employers with fewer than 500 employees. There are some nuances there. So for example, um, if you are in the NAICS code 72, which is the um, accommodation and food services industry, this will apply to you based on number of employees per physical location, as opposed to uh, common ownership. But if you're in other uh, industries, it's likely that that would be based on common ownership. So just for an example, to kind of illustrate what I mean, if you're in some sort of large restaurant group, for example, and you have um, 15 locations that all have 100 employees, then that's obviously over the 500 employee threshold. But each, if you, if you uh, think about them in aggregate, but under the circumstances, they're allowing you to think about them by physical location. So if you have 100 employees at each of those locations, each location is eligible for a PPP loan. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's awesome. It's it's really exciting to hear that there is some exceptions to some of the most um, biggest hit parts of parts of our country and industry right now. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Um, so again, uh, one more note in terms of eligibility: the business must have been in operation on uh, February fifteenth of this year in order to be eligible for this. Gotcha. And there is some some waivers that are a little bit different, and I think that's why you hit on that. This is the expansion and narrowing of the Small Business Act already. Um, So things like the credit elsewhere test and some collateral Mm -hmm. and personal guarantee, you'll see some waivers to those things that you wouldn't typically see before. Yep, that's absolutely right. So um, a couple of other things to to kind of keep in mind in terms of limits for this program um, is the maximum amount of the loan is... um, different and based on based on specific things. So for example, for the Paycheck Protection Program loan, businesses would be eligible to receive up to 2.5 times their average monthly payroll costs from the prior year. Now, there are um, some variable ways that this can be calculated depending on, for example, if you're a seasonal employee, I mean employer, or um, if you weren't in business for all of last year or things of that nature, but that's the general calculation. And then the limit on that amount is further limited to $10 million. So even if your 2.5 times average monthly payroll cost is in excess of that, the loan amount would be limited to $10 million. And these are 100% federally guaranteed, these loans. Um, And they have a a maximum 10-year term and a maximum 4% interest rate. So it's actually, um, it's, a lot of it's a lot of benefit that small businesses could see if they want to uh, take one of these loans, especially if they fall within the right criteria and end up being in that forgiveness category. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, and I think that's um, that's one of the things that's most attractive about these to many employers is that they have been kind of described as grants by. Um, by the politicians, like as they were going through the process of crafting the CARES Act, they were describing these as grants for small businesses. And the reason that they can kind of be um, considered as such is that these loans can be forgiven in full 
if you're using the money within a specific time period and for specific purposes. So by that, I mean the forgiveness, uh, like the formula for what could be forgiven applies to expenses within the eight weeks following the date of origination of the loan. So if your loan originates on April 1st, then you have eight weeks from that date that any expenses that are paid during that time could fall into this bucket. And there are specific eligible expenses that could be forgiven. So if during that time you're using those funds to pay for payroll or mortgage interest or rent or utilities, then those amounts can be forgiven. Now, one thing to keep in mind here is that, um, you know, kind of true to its name, Paycheck Protection Program Loan, this is only going to be reduced proportionally to the amount that your workforce has been reduced. So if you've maintained 100% of your staff and you've maintained 100% of their compensation levels, then that's fantastic and you may be eligible for complete and total loan forgiveness here. But if you have decreased either the number of individuals working for you or the amount of their compensation, that forgiveness would also be um, proportionally reduced in accordance with that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for calling that one out. The last one I want to cover is kind of less employer-related, more individual employee-related, but uh, I think it's something for for employers to consider as they're deciding what to do with their workforce, Um, and that one is the expanded unemployment benefit. So can you talk about the eligibility there and the changes to to what that looks like right now? Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with you. I think this is something that um, a lot of employers are really kind of having to um, grapple with whether or not, you know, they need to think about unemployment for their workforce. Um, so what the CARES Act really did is it expanded UI programs in four main ways. So it expanded eligibility, increased uh, benefit amounts, and it changed some of the timelines of benefit amounts. And then um, there's also, I also just want to note that this is all going to be administered through this existing state infrastructure. So it would all be administered at the state level. So if we want to talk first about eligibility, um, there are a few main ways in which the CARES Act expands eligibility that are worth kind of calling out. So um, for example, individuals who are self-employed or who are like part of the gig economy, those people are typically not covered under unemployment insurance programs. They're not eligible for those benefits because they're not paying into those benefits. So this this program expands that eligibility and allows a lot of those workers to actually still um, to actually become eligible for benefits for the first time. Now, again, this is all going to be administered at the state level. So you would still need to uh, check with your specific state to see if they're expanding that coverage to you. But that is, for the first time, something that is a distinct possibility here. And I think that that's really worth calling out because um, we've actually seen a, a lot of dialogue at the federal level over the last couple of years about gig workers and and that that piece of the economy because it has really exploded over the last couple of years. And there are tons of people who are not paying into unemployment. And one of the major arguments over the past couple of years is what happens to those people if something bad happens. And we've hit a situation where something bad has happened and we have a lot of people who are 
wouldn't be eligible for these benefits. So the um, federal government really tried to take some measures here to make sure that those people are protected too. Yeah, there is a couple exceptions I do want to highlight, and it's um, those that have the ability to work remotely. So if you've Mm -hmm. gone into a remote work situation and you're actually still continuing to be employed and working remote, you you would not qualify for unemployment benefits. Um, And then those receiving paid sick leave. Um, That's another Mm -hmm. thing that employees are are utilizing right now. Mm -hmm. Yep. Those are very good call out. So that ability to telework is um, one of of the big ones because so many employers have kind of gone to that model. Um, So yeah, I think that's a really important call out. And then how is it expanded? So I've been I've been looking at this and it, it seems like those that um, do need to take unemployment during this time that the government has thought about um, what those amounts are during this time differently than they have before. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So um, one of the things, again, I, I had kind of mentioned earlier that states do administer this. But what I didn't mention is that states do have to opt into this as well. So we're kind of um, just at the the point of starting to see how that is going to unfold. But assuming that the states do opt into it, the way that the CARES Act has expanded the benefit amount is that it has more or less increased the maximum weekly benefit by $600. So you would it, you would receive the maximum weekly benefit for whatever your state is, plus an additional $600. So um, if you kind of wanted to step back and look at an example of that, um, our main office is located in Illinois. So if we use Illinois as an example, the maximum weekly benefit there, if you have a dependent, is $648 per week. The CARES Act would increase that by $600. So you would be eligible for $1,248 each week under this expansion with the CARES Act. And this would be available until July 31st of this year. Yeah, really good call out. So um, I know that was, this is for our listeners, this was a very, very high level overview of the CARES Act. Um, We didn't touch base on student loans or individual payments. So those are definitely included along with a couple other things in the CARES Act that we we didn't touch base on. But um, Corinne and I actually wanted to try something new for our next podcast. So we'd love to hear what your questions are around CARES and FFCRA and other compliance related items around COVID. COVID-19 that you're experiencing right now. And we'd love to do a a sort of mailbag episode next episode where we get to answer those questions and and dig into some details some more. So um, if you would like to have your question featured, please submit it to pctytalks at paylocity.com. You can address it to me or Corinne, and we really look forward to being able to dig into some of the questions that you guys have as you are navigating during this time. So Corinne, thanks again for spending some time with me today, and hopefully we'll have a slew of questions to answer next time. Okay, great. Thanks so much for having me.